0: Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Midnight Movie Confessionals. Today's episode is going to be one of my favorites. And I'm going to make this into a three-parter episode. I'm not going to be able to really do this properly with Anchor or anything like that. It might be in multiple segments this episode on Anchor's app, or it might be all one part. All One Thing Podcast, wherever you get it on Apple, on Spotify, or wherever. I don't know. I've never done this before, but. This is going to be a bit of a momentous occasion, because. Honestly, if I was to really say it. Someday, that day may never come. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Until that day. Except this podcast, as well as the two other parts that come after, as a gift. Yes, if you are able to comprehend what I just said in that not even very good Marlon Brando impersonation, you probably already know what this is going to be. This is going to be part one of the infamous Francis Ford Coppola godfather trilogy this will be part one with the godfather nothing else nothing more it is written by mario Puzo. it's based on the book same with the other two that i'll be reviewing later on and as i am going to be talking about them i'm going to be talking a little bit about who is also in it and all that i'm not going to go too crazy into it all but i know the whole series itself was released on March 14th, 1972. That's where it started. With Francis Ford Coppola being the director, Robert Towne and Mario Puzo helping with the screenplay. It has James Caan, Al Pacino, Marlon Brando, Diane Keaton, Robert Duvall, Talia Scheer, well Shire. well, I think her last name is... I don't really know how to pronounce her last name. It also has... Uh what's his name? Uh I'm trying to remember the name of the guy who was in it as well. But the music is made by Nino Rota, who made an amazing bit for it. It was released on the 14th of 1972 in March, and it made its original budget was around 6 to 7.2 million, and it made roughly 246 to 287 million. And it has been regarded as one of the most influential films ever made, especially for the gangsters genre. It was selected for the preservation in the film med- registry in the Library of Congress in 1990. It is one of the second greatest films by the AFI American Film Institute, behind Citizen Kane as the second. It was followed by two sequels, which we all, which I will get to. Don't get me wrong, but the whole mythology about it all is quite interesting but let's get into the plot shall we I've already spoken a few like already enough about this movie how I feel like I'm just just spilling my guts all over about it but I'm not gonna go too deep into it but more or less it starts in 1945 where on the day of his daughter's wedding Vito is listening to request like uh, Vito Corleone, the Don of the Corleone Crime Family organization, whatever you wanna call it, is listening to some requests by certain people like uh this one guy named Bonacera, who is a mortician of sorts, he works for the has his own funeral home, whose daughter was badly injured after a date that went wrong with one of her boyfriends. He tried to teach her the American way, like, pursuit of happiness, all of that, like, live the American dream properly from the ground up all the way to the, the top, if she could make it there. She got her wa- a jaw wired shut, or both of her jaws wired shut, she can't weep, like, she can't do anything about the pain, it's painful for her. Bonacera wants it to be taken care of, he wants the men that, uh, beat her up badly to Basically, be taught a lesson, and then there's another. He does decide to say, Yes, I will help you out, but just know if there may be a day where I'm gonna ask you to do a service for me, which we'll talk about later on when that does happen in the movie. We're not gonna talk about that. There's another one that's talking about one of the like the baker who made the wedding cake, his best man, Enzo is uh close to being deported but he loves the baker's daughter and he wants to marry her and stay in the country but he's having issues with immigration so Vito is able to pull some strings to help with that situation and um yeah more or less it's during the, it's the day of his daughter Connie's wedding his the role of his like he's his youngest son, who was a Marine during the Second World War, as well as Kay Adams, are at the wedding reception where Johnny Fontaine, his gods like uh, Vito's godson, comes to seek help securing a movie role where and basically we get introduced to the family, we get introduced to Sonny, we get introduced to Fredo, we get introduced to everyone, we get introduced to Connie, the daughter of Vito we get introduced to Fredo, his uh second youngest son. We get introduced to Santino, Sonny is oldest, and then we get introduced to Michael, who is mostly the main character for the most part throughout the entire trilogy that we get to learn like get to like know about. And he's played wonderfully well by Al Pacino. James Caan plays his son like plays the son Sonny. Um I know the guy's name off the top of my head, but it's not coming to me. The tip of my—it's t- on the tip of my tongue. But um, he, I don't think he's very—he's not there a whole lot. But I know he's there. I'm trying to think of his name right now. God dang it! I know he's—I know Fredo's actor's name. Ah, John Cazale. That's it. He's also in this. He plays wonderfully as the second son of of uh, Vito. We also have Tom Hagen, the family conciliary and lawyer, who is the adopted son of the Corleone family, who is, uh, who Sonny found as a kid who had no home, no nothing, and brought him home one day, and they've informally adopted him. And he was uh, a member of the family ever since, and he is the lawyer slash major advisor, and he's played wonderfully well by Robert Duvall. While this is happening, all this is going on, like... There, like, Vito's getting all the requests that he gets on the daughter's wedding day. But there's one thing that um, his godson wants help with. He wants to get a movie role, but this guy, Jack Waltz, is um, stonewalling him. And he's doing this in the sense of like, he doesn't want Johnny Fontaine to get this role because he may be a great singer and all, But he doesn't want to do this because he's ruined someone else's life. That Jack Waltz kind of was training to become a huge protege. And I guess it embarrassed him. Because she ran off. But Tom goes to LA to talk to Mr. Waltz and deal with this. And um, more or less, he tries to do what he can. But since he can't... uh, convince Mr. Waltz otherwise he decides to leave after a pleasant evening and a great dinner after he's also met um Waltz's prized horse Khartoum and the next morning after this has happened Vito and Tom have basically given because he didn't want to like Mr. Waltz didn't want to do this they basically made him do the off like the option like well make, like, give Fontaine the offer because, in a sense, they gave Mr. Waltz an offer he couldn't refuse, which was, because they do describe this as something that Don Corleone has done before because Johnny Fontaine was in a band, he was dealing with a band leader who was giving him issues and saying, I'll give you X amount if you will uh, let Johnny go from his contract. He refuses, and then one day... Vito brings... Because they're telling this as a story. Like, Michael's telling it to his girlfriend Kay. He's telling him... Like, he's he's telling her that, um... One day... Like, a long time ago, when Johnny was still doing with his band crap... My father and Luca Brazi... One of my father's most loyal and most trusted friends... Go up to the band leader and say... You see this contract? Either... Your signature or your brains are going to be on this contract. And that is what happens. He basically signed the contract saying, okay, Johnny's no longer with this. Get out of here, kid. Or whatever happened. And after that happens, whatever happens. Like, it just basically Johnny becomes a big star. Now, back to now. Tom, Sonny, and Vito are uh, discussing someone who is about to approach Vito about a deal that they want to set up with this man named Salazzo Virgil Salazzo. He is known as, as the Turk. He's meant to be very good with a knife. He's a drug kingpin, basically. He wants to have it so the Corleones help him process, like not process, but like distribute heroin around like, the states. Vito doesn't want to do anything, deal with that at all. He knows that the Titalia is because of Tom's um, research, he knows that Solazzo is going to do some very dangerous stuff that's going to make him money, but he doesn't want to deal with that because of the fact that he is, is in control of certain vices like gambling, liquor, brothels, and all that. Like, he runs those, like a spider's web. He doesn't want to deal with illegal narcotics because that's going to ruin his connections that he has because he is an influential man. So I guess in return because he refused some gunmen shoot Vito in cold blood and when Luca and Brutta Totale, one of the Tattalia, like one of the members of the Totale family and Solzo are having a deal where he wants to say, yeah, I want to join the family because I'm just not happy with the Corleones anymore. He gets killed. garroted, Garoted, however you want to pronounce it. I don't know exactly. And, um... He's basically choked to get, death. Like, um... Basically just strangled to death. And... Solzo kidnaps Tom... We find out that um, now uh, now Vito, since he was hurt and gunned down in the street, he's not dead, though. He's pretty badly injured. He's in, the, uh, in intensive care. Sonny is now taking control of the family. And uh, Tom tries to pressure Sonny to accept the deal. And uh, meanwhile, when they're all home and they're all discussing it, Vito didn't want Michael to be involved in the family business. He more or less said, "You know what? I don't want you to be involved. I want you to go straight." All this stuff. We find that uh, Luca is dead. Like a uh, bulletproof vest is wrapped, like has a fish wrapped up in it, and it's a Sicilian message that Luca Brasi now sleeps with the fishes. He's dead, in other words. While this happens. Vito survives, is at the hospital. Michael thwarts another attempt on his father. With uh the help of Enzo, the baker, who's like, he s- says no, Enzo, get out of here. There's gonna be trouble. I don't want you near me, man. But he says, you know what, I'll help you because of your father. Michael gets his uh job messed up by a corrupt NYPD captain named Captain McCluskey, who is, I guess, Solotsa's unofficial bodyguard, and then um When they find out what's going on, they see that Michael got hurt pretty bad. And because of the hospital thing, Sonny gets a little mad himself because he's known to have a very famous temper. He sees this and um, retaliates with a hit on Brutus Don's son. And um, while this hell happens, Michael says, you know what? They're gonna try and kill dad no matter what uh, kill pop no matter what. How about this? I'm the only one with a clean record here. If Clemenza can one of the main lieutenants, the capital regime, whatever you want to call him, one of the main guys, is able to plant a gun for me. That's uh, taped with special type of tape and whatnot. I can kill Solazzo and McCluskey myself if we go to a public place like a bar or a restaurant somewhere that's In a sense, open where I can be safe. So I can kill them both. Sonny is like, come on, man. I don't want you to get into trouble because of this shit. Like, he doesn't want Michael to get involved. Tommy even says that, you know what? We shouldn't let him in either. But you know what? Let's let him in. And, uh... Meanwhile, all that, after that's all happened, we find that uh, one of the guys that actually helped organize the hit... Polygato gets capped by Rocco Lampone and Clemenza. That's where the famous "Leave the gun, take the cannoli" line comes from. Honestly, I might be a little—I might be telling some of the story in not proper order, but you have to forgive me here. It's been a—it's been a night tonight. I've had a few things to drink. Forget about that. Forget about it. But other than that, let's move on. When they planned the hit. Um, basically, when Michael plots and actually does the deed, he caps them both and then flees out of the country, and more or less there's a very bad feud that happens between all the five families, which would be the Corleones, the Tattaglias, the Stracci family, the Cunios, and the Barzinis. And it erupts in open warfare. Michael takes refuge in Sicily. Fredo then gets sheltered by someone in Las Vegas named Mo Green, under the protection of one of the California families that the Corleones are connected with, to learn the casino business. So, when everything's sorted out, he can at least help maybe open up a casino business where he will be the one taking care of everything. And there's a huge clampdown on the authorities. Like, from the authorities, like, there's a bunch of things in the papers talking about how McCluskey and Salazzo were, like, the captain was connected to the drug racket because of Salazzo. And all this junk. Meanwhile, Sonny is dealing with family issues as well. He notices that um, his sister Connie's been beaten up by Carlo, her husband. He goes to find where he is, brutally beat the shit out of him, and say, you touch her again, you're dead. Like, he's he has a temper, like I mentioned, he will fuck you up if you fuck with family like that. And, um, I guess a little bit later on, Connie gets attacked again, Sonny finds out and goes Ballistic. Chase is off to go and attack, uh, go kill Carlo. But Tom even says, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't do that. No, 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 no. Wait, Sonny, Sonny, Sonny. And then he can't do anything. He's already speeding off. He gets some guys to go chase after him. Say, come on, get off your asses. Go help him out. Go get him, man. Go get him back. I don't want to see him dead. When it does, he gets ambushed. On a, at a highway toll booth. And is violently murdered by some of the five families. Meanwhile in Sicily. Michael has met someone named Apollonia. And. Starts dating her. Meet, marrying her. And then one day. I guess when he finds out that Santino was killed. From Don Tomasino. Who is. Under, like um, Protecting Michael. In Sicily. He says, like, he keeps him updated on everything. And he's even gone to visit Vito's uh, hometown, where he was born, where he got his name, Corleone, Sicily. He finds himself getting, um... Knocked out from a car bomb explosion that was meant for him, but kills his wife, Apollonia. Um... More or less, after that has happened, Michael, since he's more or less abandoned Kay, his girlfriend, I only mentioned maybe briefly, who, he just, she she got introduced to the family, and when everything's going on, he tell like, Michael tells her to go back to New Hampshire, I'm going to deal with this myself, and then he flees off to Sicily, and then when that happens, like, pretty much everything that's going on has gotten pretty bad. Like, one of the most iconic scenes for this movie, for me. I don't know if I'd say it's iconic, but it's, it's a heartbreaking scene. Especially whenever I watch it. It has Vito talking to Tom, where he's like... My wife is crying upstairs. I hear cars coming to the house. Don't see the of mine. I think you should tell your dumb what everyone seems to know. And then Tom, while he's having a drink, no less, is literally in tears saying shot Sunny on the causeway. He's dead. Like, when Vito learns this, he's like, I want no inquiries, made. I want no acts of vengeance. I want you to arrange a meeting with the heads of the five families. This war stops now. And this is where Bonacera is now asked to do the favor that Vito had mentioned in the beginning that you may have to do a favor for me because of this and that and the other thing. He basically says, you know what? You now have to do a favor for me, which is help make my son look a little bit better for the funeral because he's shot up and looks disgusting. Like, he just looks like just so badly messed up. He wants Bonasera to do what he can to fix that. And uh, they go to a meeting. He assures that the five families he will withdraw from his, his position, draw his opposition to the heroin business, and forego avenging Sonny's murder. With his with uh, Michael's safety guaranteed, he returns home to enter the family business and marry Kay. And he even promises to her that she's gonna like he's he's gonna make it all legitimate within five years at least. And. When this is all going on, Vito is even saying, "You know what I want tom I want you Tom to do me a favor and ask the- barzini men to uh make sure that they have clean records. He wants to make sure that they have clean records. there's no charges like because apparently Barzini's someone that doesn't need to be told more than once." And Tom thought to correct him, and he'd be like, you mean Tattaglia. And there comes the time where they know that this is who actually um, was pulling the strings. He, like Barzini, the Barzini family, Don Barzini, was actually pulling the strings on Philip Tattaglia to do all the things to pressure Sonny into fighting. Like he even meant, like Vito even mentions that Tattaglia is just a pimp. He wouldn't have been able to outfight Santino. Like Sonny. Himself, because honestly, he would have just been decimated if Barzini wasn't pulling the strings. And then, Kay gives birth to two kids in the early fifties with his, with father like uh, with the father feel- like, uh, with Vito feeling like with Beatle feeling kind of near the end of his life. And Fredo isn't the best in the world. He's kind of stupid. He's weak, but he he has a good heart. Michael is then. Taking the family reign, so he's been stepped over. Technically, Fredo was stepped over twice, in a sense. Like, he was stepped over... When Mike, like, when Sonny took over, he thought he would be the one to take over. And then got stepped over again. And... um Michael takes the reins. He insists that um everyone's going to relocate to Las Vegas. And... He even says that Tom isn't a wartime conciliary. Like, he isn't known to be a part of, like... Something that happens... Like, if there's a war, a mob war or something like that... He doesn't think that Tom is the best conciliary, the best advisor. So, he says he's out. It wasn't intentionally meant to hurt him or anything like that. He just thinks that he wouldn't be the best for it. So, he asks, like, his dad to be the advisor for everything. And, um... He just doesn't want Hagen to, like Tom, to be in any of the battles that are going to happen. So when Michael travels to Vegas to buy out Mo Green's stake in the casinos, he's dismayed to see that Fredo is more loyal to Mo than his own family. When um, Vito's a like in 19, this, now it's like from 1945, it went from 1945 to. 1947 to now the early 1950s, like 1951, 1952. Now it's 1955. Vito suffers a heart attack where he dies at the funeral of Saltesio. One of, uh, like, um, he and Clemenza and Vito were all old buddies. One of their, like, he was one of the oldest capos. Asks Michael to meet with Barzini. And uh, Vito forewarned that whoever. Asks you to have a sit down with Barzini... is going to be... The, like is going to kill... is basically going to kill you. And... Um, it's meant to be on the same day... As the baptism of Connie's baby. Um, more or less... Tom even mentioned... Like always thought it would have been... Um, Peter Clemenza... But... They even said it's a smart move. Tessie was always smarter... And they decide to have it during the baptism, where he's going to take out Barzini, Stracci, Tatalia, Cunio. He's going to take out everyone, even Mo Green. While Michael is standing at the altar as the child's godfather, he's going to be the godfather, the like godfather to Connie's baby, which is honestly a very, very important thing to be for any family member. Like I myself may not be a godfather to any children, but. I know if I was given that role as as the godfather, because I am an uncle, of course, if I was given the opportunity to become a godfather to someone's child, I would more than be happy to take that role, just because of the fact that I hold such a strong bond with that family. But, while the baptism is happening, there is a giant, um, not even a giant thing, but there's a bunch of people getting capped. Like, Cuneo gets capped... By, I think, really Chi Chi. Um, everyone's getting just capped. Stracci, Cunio, Bazzini, Natalia. Like, everyone just gets popped. And um, even Mo Green gets hit. Tessio's treachery leads to his own ex- execution. Michael extracts Carlo's confession in the complicity of setting up Sonny for Borzini. Clemenza. Like Peter Kalanza does actually Garrett Carlo to death and Connie accuses him like Michael of the murder, telling Kay that Michael or all these killings because uh when Vito died, he's like, you know what? I'm I like he she thinks that he killed everyone, like even Carlo. And even though Kay is relieved that he denies all of it. He's, he She just kind of notices that everyone now addresses her husband as Don Corleone. And watches them pay reverence to Michael as the newly installed Don as they close the door on her. And that's how the movie ends. And I'm going to say, out of all the films that I've ever watched in my life, The First Godfather, I have to admit, is one of the most. It's very dramatic. It's very a soap opera. It's a. It's very much like a soap opera. It's not like Goodfellas or Casino, where they're all based on real events. The Godfather is based on a book by Mario Puzo. Now the book doesn't expand as far as the movies sort of do. The movies go further afoot. There are more characters in the book than there are in the movie, but at at the same time, there's more characters in the movie than there is in the book, like, a lot of things get added and subtracted, there's a lot of other things that go on, as well, like, there's another one that Mario Puzo did called The Sicilian, where Michael, while he's still in, um, exile, is asked to do a deed for someone, like, a deed for someone, I can't remember who, But is asked to do this, and in return, will be able to get home safely. Just because this is one thing he has to do before he leaves Sicily. And even though I think that's a good movie, that that was a good book, both of them were. I didn't like the movie adaptation of The Sicilian. I won't go near that movie at all, and do a review on it. I needed to get something out of off my chest for the Godfather trilogy, and I've been I've been kind of wanting to do this series for a while, for honestly, a whole, like, review. This might come up as three parts. I don't know how it's going to go apart when it gets uploaded to everywhere, but this will be part one of three of the entire trilogy of The Godfather. So this is part one. I have to definitely, I hate to go and be biased and say it's 10 out of 10, but my God, these movies are great sometimes. Just re-watching it, After not seeing it since, um, oh, when was it the last time I watched the Godfather trilogy? It's been a while. Like, the last time I think I really watched this film series, especially the first one, was maybe five years ago, maybe? It's been a long time, but I wanted to do something that, even though I'm not Italian-American, I do like my mob movies, I like... I like Casino. I like Goodfellas. I like all these mob movies that, more or less, explore what some people did back in the day that were just fucking brutal. Like the original Scarface is also a classic. I haven't been able to watch that, but when I do get the chance, I might make a review on that. But that's a different story for a different day. Now, if I'm gonna give this one, if I, if I really want to give this one a rating, I think I will give it a nine out of ten. Or it Honestly, it's a solid 8.5 to a 9 out of 10 on the scale. But as a whole, it's a solid entry to the series. I remember many people didn't really like it at the beginning. And then it became one of the few that just became massive with audiences later on in life. And it, I'm surprised to this day that this movie, of all the movies that Francis Ford Coppola has ever made, has been such a big hit with people that... It has people like Marlon Brando, for crying out loud. It has Al Pacino, who plays Michael. It has Richard Cazzanello as Clemenza. Robert Duvall as Tom Hagen. Uh, Who else is in it? Diane Keaton plays Kay Adams. Talia Shire plays Connie, the daughter of the family. Um, John Casale, like I mentioned. Lenny Montana was look Brazzi and... I think Lenny was a wrestler before as well. Oh, shit, he was. He was quite a tall guy, too. He, um... What else did he do? He had, he... Apparently he was a member of the Colombo family, apparently. I think he was an enforcer for them, of all people. And it's like, what?! But apparently, that's something that he did. But, um... I guess that's something he did, apparently. I don't know. But, that's a different thing to worry about. I'm not going to go too far into that. I know that the video games, those I'll kind of talk to you about. I'll talk about the first one being... In brief detail, because the first Godfather movie did become a video game in, in 2005, if I recall correctly, by Electronic Arts. And the second one also had one later on in 2009. But this one takes the, like, you take the reins as a character in the series that just becomes an outsider and then works his way up to becoming the Don of the Corleones and becomes the main New York City chief for the Corleone family. But that is um, something that is very different. Like it takes the roles of like you basically are playing as some random character and get yourself intertwined like a spider's web into certain parts of the of the movie. Not a whole lot, mind you, but you get involved in a few things that that you get you help out with. Sonny's war, you help out with Michael's hit on. Uh, Slautso and McCluskey, you get involved in helping Fredo get his dad of the hospital, you get involved in a lot of things, and there's a few other characters that are actually introduced in the game for that one reason, While, wow. and then you help with the baptism, but other than that, there isn't much else that you even help with, like Tessio's murder, and all this stuff. Like, there's a lot of things you get involved in in, that, in the game that are almost like a behind-the-scenes sort of thing for the movie. Like, you don't really see some of these things. They kind of happen off-screen or what have you. And, uh, well, the, the first game is not bad. I'll talk about the second game later after I do my review on The Godfather Part 2. But right now, this is Part 1. I'm finished with it for now. When I come back and finish all of it, I will probably upload this all in one video, like one podcast. Who knows? It might be three segments. It might not be. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but when I get it done, you'll probably hear it all. And then, yeah. So, until next time, my movie... And my film, like, uh, my cinema, like, cinemaniacs, or whatever it is, like, I'll think of. Until next time, I will see you at the movies. End transmission. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Midnight Movie Confessionals. My name is Scott. I am your host of Midnight Movie Confessionals. And today marks a bit of an interesting time. Even though, okay, this series has kind of had its one-year anniversary. I didn't really do much for it. But then again, I haven't really been doing a whole lot during this pandemic. Besides doing podcasts sporadically when I can. I found out some good news. In a sense, today. I found out some good news. But that will help conclude this second part of this series that I'm doing for this special momentous occasion. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Yes, I am sorry if that is the worst Al Pacino impression you've ever heard in your life. I am sorry, but I am going to be reviewing for part two, The Godfather Part Two. The film came out in 1974. It stars Al Pacino. It stars Fred Gazale. It stars Robert Duvall. It stars everyone that you kind of remember from the first one. But one person that was not in the first one who was in the second one is the legendary acting coach Lee Strasberg who was a part of the actor studio who helped develop the method technique. And I'll probably get into a podcast about him and his life as well as Stella Adler and Stanislavski and all that later on at, at, at a different point. Well, that's beside the fact. This came out in 1974. Exactly two years after the first Godfather film, which got quite a lot of Oscars. I think the second one out of the entire trilogy is the only one to have gotten, I think, the most out of the entire trilogy. I have to take a look quickly. But I know I found out some good news. Francis Ford Coppola has been allowed by Paramount to recreate and meticulously craft what he had for a director's cut of The Godfather Part 3 and now he's going to be retitling it. Even though it is technically still Godfather Part 3 he's calling it The Godfather Coda The Death of Michael Corleone, which is what he he and Mario Buzo originally decided to call it. But Paramount did not like that so they went with Part 2 and that came out in 1990. This one came out in 1974 on December 12th so technically a week after I was born in a sense it came out and it celebrated its 28th anniversary when I was born but beside the fact I was barely alive when I wasn't even alive when this movie came out basically if I recall correctly this film was nominated for 11 Academy Awards and became the first sequel to win best picture It's six Oscar wins also included Best Director, Best Supporting Actor for Robert De Niro, who was in it. Best Adapted Screenplay for Mario Puzo and Francis Coppola. Al Pacino won the BAFTA Award for Best Actor, and he was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Actor. A lot of people can say that The Godfather Part 2 is better than Part 1. But, if I'm honest, 1 and 2 are what is most important. Part 3 took 16 years to kind of get going and make happen, and that's beside the fact. Part 2 picks up a couple years or so after Part 1. After Part 1, we know that Michael has now become the Don, and Part 2 kind of begins with someone recognizing him as that, as Godfather, and it kind of also starts with a bit of a flashback. Now this one's going to have some flashbacks, a lot more than I think the first one ever did. I don't recall the first one even having flashbacks. And this is this is being recorded sometime after I saw the first one. I just rewatched the second one tonight and I I felt the need to record it because I thought, you know what? I'll never record part 2 if I don't do this. What I might do is if I get the chance to go see The Godfather Coda in theaters, I will record that part of the episode and make this a complete another full episode completely where I talk about it all and make a part four for this. It'll be the first four-parter episode that I've ever made for this series in general where I th- it'll all be one continuous episode, hopefully. I don't know how Anchor will do that exactly. I don't know how. It goes about, but if it works as to one full episode, you might see some transitional changes and whatnot from each piece. But that will happen as it happens. If that happens and I'm able to see it on the 4th of December, which I'm hoping I'm able to, depends on everything that goes on. If any pandemic issues happen or what have you. If I can't do it, then I don't do it. And that's it. It is what it is. Anyways... It has a bit of a, it, it kind of starts more with a proper flashback to 1901 where Vito Corleone is actually known as Vito Andolini from Corleone, Sicily. He was just a kid and he's having to deal with his father's funeral because his father insulted a local don, Don Ciccio. And his older brother swears revenge on uh, Don Chicho and runs off, swearing revenge, saying, I will kill him. But he, in turn, is killed. And um, what really is upsetting about it is that his mo- like, Vito's mother has to deal with all this stuff that has gone on. She goes to Don Chicho to ask him to be spared because... He's all, she, like, she's all, he's all, she has left of of his entire family. He, she asks him to please spare him. Just, he won't do anything to you. Spare him, please. She doesn't get that opportunity to have him spared. He denies it. No, I won't spare him at all. And she angrily picks up a knife, threatens to kill him, like, um, asks Vito to run. Just run for it. Run, 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 run. He runs back to Corleone. His mother dies after being executed, more or less. He keeps running. And some Chichio's men are looking for him throughout the night. He gets saved by a few local friends, I guess, of the family. I'm not exactly certain on who they were, but they were people in Corleone that knew what was going on. They harbored him. And uh, sent him off to America to start a new life. Now, as soon as he gets to Ellis Island, again, he's been entirely mute for the entire time for the most part of this movie so far as a kid. He's mute. He hasn't said anything. He hasn't spoken to anyone. He's sent to Ellis Island, of course. And then he's told he has smallpox. He has to be quarantined for three months on Ellis Island alone. and he's And he's just alone. Like... He's a kid. He's on his own. There's no one to... Like, he's an orphan, basically. And he's having to... Work away, uh, Work his way up. And then it it transitions to... The 1950s... 1958, if I recall correctly. Or something like that. Where, uh... Anthony, Michael's son, is having his first communion. And now in the... Catholic community, if I recall correctly, that is a very important thing. A lot of families will celebrate that. I, myself, as a man of God, never had that sort of uh, celebration of me having my first communion. I never got to have that opportunity. But I don't really care. I'm not Catholic. It's not a big deal. What is a bit of a big deal is just how it almost plays out, almost like there's a wedding going on. Now, Michael has a few guests come over. He tr- tries to talk business with them. He has an old associate from New York come by, Frank Bentangeli, who has good old Willy Chichi with him as well, who um, they try to go see Michael because there's some issues with some people in, the, in, the, in New York that he wants to have help getting settled with. And that's going on. Pardon me. That's happening in New York. Frank Pantone wants help. He's a part of the Corleone family. He's technically branched out to start his own family in a sense. But under the Corleone family. And um, he's wanting to go to war with the Rosato brothers. Tony and... Victor, I think it was. I can't remember right off the top of my head. I know the, the Rosados were, I think, oh, Carmine and Tony. I don't know why I was thinking Anthony for some reason. But it was Carmine and, and Carmine and Tony Rosado that um, he's having issues with. Michael says, don't do anything stupid. I have business that's important with whom they're dealing with. Hyman Roth, played by Lee Strasberg, like I mentioned. Um, he more or less decides to say, let me handle everything right now. I There's a business deal that's important to me and his family that I don't want disturbed. Please don't do anything like, silly, Frank. I just need you to do something for me. Just calm down, relax. I'll take care of it. When later the night. <sighs> pardon me, I'm sorry. Later that night, Michael is getting ready for bed, and notices that the like, um, Ken notices that the light, the windows are open, and he's almost killed. He's, I guess, his, his house gets assaulted by some thugs. I guess out of New York, we don't really exactly know. But what we do know is that they attempt to make a hit on him and this sets an entire this sets the entire story going on more or less for this movie it more or less starts the the rest of the movie happening and going on meanwhile there's also plenty of flashbacks back and forth back and forth back and forth between Michael like present day and then flashbacks to the past with Rob De Niro playing the one and only Vito Corleone whom on Ellis Island I forgot to mention doesn't get to keep his name of me, Vito Andolini. Because the interpreter, I guess, or whomever, the Ellis Island clerk, decides to call him Vito Corleone. Instead of Vito Andolini. He hears Vito Andolini from Corleone, but he doesn't, I guess, hear that his name is Vito Cor Like, Andolini. Who knows how that goes. I wasn't really alive when Ellis Island was such a thing to do such a thing, I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about the whole immigration thing with Ellis Island in the States. But that it was one of the main ports, and that's how many people found Amer- like came to America. They've moved away, visited, like moved to New York, and then started their lives elsewhere. From what I could tell. But that's beyond the fact. Basically, this starts a whole chain of events that has Michael... Say to Tom that he's now gonna run the family. He's gonna be the Don. He's gonna have control over Al Neary, Rocco Lapone's men, everyone, even Fredo's men. He loves Fredo. He's his brother, but he thinks he's weak and stupid. He's not smart at all. Like he's just basically someone you could just go pick up at the like, have some, like take to like just assign to go pick someone up at the airport, more or less. That's what Michael thinks of Fredo. He's He's his brother, of course, but he thinks he's not strong enough and strongly will to run a family. Which, okay, makes a little bit of sense just due to how things happened in the past. But he goes on about this. Tom takes control of everything. Michael goes down to visit. Um, He goes to visit... Hyman Roth in Miami to talk about everything, and he says that he ha- like he's worried, like he wants to, know like he's he kind of downplays on who actually was the one behind it all. Excuse me. He he kind of blames Frank Bantagely when it was actually Roth. He thinks like he kind of plays off of saying that Roth was the one behind it. He'll like he'll talk to him later or whatever, and. Um, I think after this one, there's another flashback to when Vito is has his first child, which I believe is Sonny. I can't really recall, but he's had his first child. He's working. He's doing his best. And uh, he kind of gets into some issues with Don Fanucci, the one that runs the neighborhood, who collects everything for Don Maranzala. I and mean, we don't really meet in the movie. Or in the book's mind. Or in the book at all, either. But that's, so that's beside the fact. He deals with whatever. He tries his best. And he he meets uh Peter Clemenza. Out of the blue, no less. Because Clemenza was next door. Like, across the... Across from the other apartment. Asking him to hold on to a, a, some stuff for him for a couple of days. Because he's, I guess, I guess, having a... A search warrant on his house, I guess. I'm not too exactly certain on what's happening. They don't really explain it very well, but that's what's happening. In return, he's been. I think he gets uh, gifted a rug by Peter Clemenza, who he decides to work with, kind of work together with on certain things, like certain jobs. I guess this is where he kind of gets more and more involved after he's fired from the grocery store. because of Don Finucci's involvement of sorts, that he's now kind of working as a bit of a a gangster, in a sense. Like, he doesn't want to be working as a gangster, but that's what happens. Meanwhile, things are getting a little bit sour, you could say, at um, the Corleone compound, because... Kay wants to take the kids out, but she can't, mostly due to how Tom is running things, and it's due to her, like, his orders that they can't go anywhere at all, just because, well, it's only because of what happened. Like, do you want to have your kid, you want to have your family out there when something bad could happen? No. Meanwhile, while all this is happening, potentially after he's been visited by Michael, goes to a meeting and sits down with Carmine and Tony Rosado... whom kind of think like kind of insult him in a sense with a lucky C note, he thinks. They frame Michael by saying he says hello and whatnot, saying, Yeah. Like they they try and kill him. They don't. We'll talk about that later when that comes to the crossroads. He's basically garroted and like thought dead. He's just scared stiff, pretty much, and he thinks that Michael turned on him, and that sets the chain of events that are even worse, if I'm honest, but, again, can't really go too, too much into it. While that's all happening, Michael has been kind of incognito at home. He's been dealing with everything that's been going on. He's been trying to do his own subtle investigations on everything. And um, because one of the... The Senator of Nevada, Senator Pat Geary, was causing him some grief. He kind of has him framed. And basically gets it to be how he's now in his back pocket as a bit of a favor, in a sense, for anything that goes on. And the way he does it is... He basically helps kill. Like he has it so Tom and Fredo, I guess, arrange a hooker, who had no like who was basically a runaway who had no family, no one will miss her sort of thing, killed, and she was someone that Gary was having sex with, I guess, even though he's married, he had an extramarital affair. He can't remember anything about it. He decided he's been told to just come by to like Michael Corleone's house. Stay up there in Lake Tahoe as his guest. That sort of thing. And. Yeah, that happens. Michael, I guess. Meanwhile, goes to Havana with a sit-down. With Hyman Roth and some other associates to carve up Cuba, more or less. Within another flashback or so. Because I think he jumped back to that. I can't remember, but let's. Let's jump back a little bit into the flashback after Fredo has been born. He's now however old. He's got pneumonia. Poor Fredo. They're trying to deal with that. Meanwhile, Vito is starting to become a bit of a well-known hoodlum of sorts in the neighborhood. And he's uh, boosting stuff and selling it with, with Clemenza and... His associate Saltesio, whom become his who become basically Vito's closest friends whom more or less are his capo James and uh the whole organization as time goes by on he also has uh his friend Don J- uh what was his name I I can't remember the name of the guy right now off the top of my head but I remember his name was something it was Ajenko, that's it. Jenko Abadondo. That's his name. He was the one that, um... Helped, uh... It was basically a higher hand. And, um... More or less after... Fanucci gets angry because of Vito... And his friends stealing from everyone in the neighborhood, more or less, and making a crap load of money he wants to get. He wants to be able to wet his beak. Now, Vito doesn't really want to be able to have him do that. He finds a way to say, it's not, we haven't been getting as much as you think we've been getting. This and that. Like, tries to convince him, and takes a lot of balls to really do it. He, in turn, uses a way to, if I'm honest, he kind of uses his ways with, I guess, man- manipulation, you could say, to say, no, I haven't been making this much money, you're confused, this and that, and um, he basically makes him the offer he could not refuse, which later becomes the trademark for Vito and then later Michael after a while. But he decides to do that and then stalks him during the Italian festival that's going on, the Little Italy Festival, and stalks him and assassinates Don Finucci. And now he's become the don of the local neighborhood of sorts and helps deal with some problems that have been going on and gets a bit of a respectful name. It makes him a respectful name for himself. Like, he'll say, oh, don't do that. Like, that's appreciative of you. Like if you have an issue, you come over to me, we talk. Like that sort of thing. He tries to make friends with everyone, saying, Hey, come to me if you have an issue. But just know if you have an issue, you can come to me, we could talk. We could work something out where you help me later, sort of thing. Which is what the Dawn is kinda of known for doing. Meanwhile, it's around New Year's. And around Hyman Roth's birthday, Hyman is kind of saying everyone that's there is going to help carve up Cuba by getting all these swanky hotels and whatnot. And this and that. And after everyone has been given a, a slice of cake for Hyman Roth's birthday to help celebrate it, they talk a little bit about how the rebels have been around, like, like around since the 1920s. How... Michael saw an incident earlier with one of the Rebels saying, you know, I saw something earlier today that was kind of interesting. I saw one of the local Rebels being uh, arrested by the police. Instead of just surrendering, he pulled a pin and detonated a grenade that he had had in his jacket. And he kind of gets a little bit fearful because he thinks that the Rebels could win and Take over Cuba, which I believe they do later on, if I recall correctly. In the in real life, mind you, not in the movie. They don't really show it off that well. But, after this happens, Hyman Roth and Michael talk about how the money that he was meant to give, like, Michael was meant to give Hyman Roth has not shown up to the island. He thinks that Michael may have had second thoughts and whatnot. They discuss about what happened, like, who had Frank Pentangeli killed? Who ordered it? And then he decides to talk about how his old buddy Mo Green got shot, like after he helped build Las Vegas and whatnot. Like they helped, they worked together. He was, he was someone that um, was an aggressor, you could say, and he was. Mo Green was an aggressor. They talk about that, and he says, "I let it go because it had nothing to do with." business, I just didn't care anymore, more or less, it just, he says it in a way where it seems like he doesn't really, it didn't, because it was true, it didn't have anything to do with business, and he wanted to make it certain that it didn't have anything to do with business, so he does that, they talk, he instead says that Fredo is coming with the money, Fredo does, and Fredo comes by, and he's like, oh yeah, Havana's great, it's my kind of town. is there anyone I know here in Havana, and... He says, Oh, I don't know. I'm Ra, Chaniola. Like, that's what Michael says. Like, I don't think you might know these people. And he's like, No, I don't know. I never met them. But they go down for drinks later on. And he says he's going to invite, like, Michael's invited a few people from the U.S., some senators and whatnot. He wants to help. Like, he wants Fredo to help give them a nice time here in Havana and try and look around for a few places around the area that would be great to show the centers and whatnot. He does so and on New Year's Eve they're all drinking together and uh Fredo reveals that he knew he, he was told by Johnny Ola about Johnny Olli about this place that they were at which kind of triggers something in Michael thinking Freda betrayed him. Which he did. Meanwhile, while this is all happening, I believe Hyman Roth is getting assassinated by Michael Corleone's bodyguard, by Michael's bodyguard, who then, before it actually happens, gets shot, killed. So that happens, and pretty much after that happens, the Cuban president after the festivities have kind of started, as said, he's resigning. A bit of a panic happens, and the revolutionary, the rebels start to take over the area. Fredo runs off, probably goes off to hide in New York after Michael has said, hey, come with me. There's no way you're going to get off the island alone without me and all this. He does that. Fredo takes off. Michael heads back to Miami. He finds out that. While Kay was somewhat pregnant. She had a miscarriage. And lost the baby due to Tom. She doesn't know if it was. He doesn't know if it was a boy or not. And. After he comes back from Miami. After he came back from. The whole situation. Back home. He talks to his mother. And. Asks about the whole situation. Like. Could. Could. One lose their own family, that sort of thing. He decides to talk to Fredo after Tom tells him that it was Roth that set him up, set everyone up. He played it beautifully, this and that. He talks to Fredo, and Fredo is basically, I wouldn't say blackballed, but he's become completely incommunicado from Michael. He's he basically says to Fredo, Fredo. You're nothing to me now. You're not a brother. You're not a friend. I don't want to know you or what you do. I don't want you at the hotels. I don't want to see you near my house. When you see our mother, I want to know at least a day in advance so I won't be there. He's basically just said, fuck you to Fredo. But here's the kicker. He goes to Al after he said that to Mike, like to Fredo. And he says he doesn't want anything happening him to him. While his father, like, while his mother's still alive. That's interesting. Wouldn't you agree, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this? Wouldn't you think if he wanted to do something to Fredo, that he would do it now? While his mother's still alive? Or do you think he's doing it after she's she's dead? Because after she's dead, he's basically, like, his protection's no longer there. And he could be capped at any time. He could be whacked. Which will happen, probably. Who knows? I'm not gonna spoil it, but technically, I am spoiling it. <laughs> so, while after before that conversation with Fredo happened, Tom also mentioned that uh, Pentangeli is alive. He's turning evidence up against Michael, saying he's the head of this organization. This and that. He's ran off to the feds to more or less say, hey, this is what Michael Corleone actually is, he's not a legitimate businessman, he's a crime boss he's been running a criminal empire that spans from one side of the coast to the other, like one coast to the other this and that, says this and that, he's been given federal protection from the FBI and the US military police and whatnot. he's living on a army barracks, where he's no longer able to be technically touched. So that throws a spanner into the plans for what they wanted to do, in a sense. Where the finale kind of comes into play. And I believe it comes to another flashback after everything's happened with where Mike, like, where Vito and his family uh, go to Sicily for a little bit. And, um... Don Tomasino and Vito go to where Don Ciccio is and they say they want to have a Sicilian partner to help import olive oil. When in turn, it actually was more of a setup on Ciccio where he more or less came back to actually exact the revenge. Where Vito even says, my father's name was Antonio Andolini and this is for you and just carves him up. Like a turkey more or less, and it, it's just it's oh it's brutal like this is one of those moments in the movie that is the more probably the most brutal part besides seeing really be ran over after shooting like, Tony Rosado like it's either that or you near know, the very ending where everything gets a little bit more brutal but during the hearing. Billy Chi-Chi comes through to do his speech and whatnot. And Frank Pentangeli finds out that... Michael found his brother in Sicily and... Vincenzo Pentangeli, Frank's brother, comes to the hearing to more or less have it so... Frank can't really break the Omerita. Because breaking the Omerita... Which is the code of the code of honor in silence, is punishable by death. You do that, you're fucked, basically. But that's what happens. You can't really be doing that. It's it's ridiculous. If I'm honest, it's a it's a crazy situation. But it's what happens after that. After the hearing happens, when um, Tom kind of says that the Senate owes. Like, uh, Michael, an apology. And whatnot. Vincenzo goes back to Sicily. Frank gets spoken to by Tom about the whole situation. Kay and Michael have a bit of a, a very brutal falling out because she lied about the, like, the miscarriage. It was actually an abortion. They just, she just thinks it's. It's gotten too much. She just can't handle it anymore. They're basically, their marriage is kind of falling apart. And it's just impossible for them to keep it going. She just can't deal with it anymore. It's heartbreaking to see because it's very dramatic and you kind of see the decline of Michael. Like, you see the rise of Vito, but then you see the fall of Michael in this film. Which is true, it is technically the fall. Of one part of... The, like, It's almost like the Holy Roman Empire. It's like the rise... And then the fall of the Holy Roman Empire... If that makes sense. But... What really bugs me about it is that... How everything happens... After the hearing and all that... Michael's pretty much alone in a sense. Like he still has Tom... He still has Al... After his mother dies... What's her name? Connie, that's it. Connie comes to Michael and says, can you just forgive him, please? He's so weak and helpless without you. He really wants to be forgiven at least once. He made a grave mistake, which he wants to be forgiven for. They both embrace, but... The most... Oh, just... The most evilest of feelings I ever get is in this moment because he because Michael just looks up to Al and Al kinda knows Fredo's time is up. He's gonna be whacked. And I'm the one to do it. That's what Al is kind of thinking in his head, I bet. They don't really he doesn't really say anything. For the most part he's very quiet in this movie. He doesn't really say anything in the first one either. Even during the baptism or anything, he just... He's a very quiet individual who's a bit... of Like, you don't know a whole lot about him. You know more from Rocco because he's a little bit more talkative than Al is. But Al does talk a little bit. He talks a little bit more in the third one. But we're not at the third one. So I won't talk about the third one. But basically... The whole situation goes down where... It looks like Hyman Roth has decided to try and escape the states and head back to Israel to live the rest of his life as a returning Jew. He's not able to do so. He tries to pretty much just go through everyone that he can, that will allow him to stay as an investor and just, he does not get, he did not get the opportunity. I'm sorry. He doesn't get the opportunity. He's basically stuck being... Going through Miami Airport... Where he's just like... I'm just a retired investor... Living on a pension... Yadda yada, yada, yada. Give me all this bullshit... Raka goes over... Like go to the airport... And actually poses a reporter... And shoots him... But in turn gets shot by... The federal... Police... That were there... At Miami Airport... And he... More or less dies... Right then and there... While... Frank at the barracks... After he's talked to Tom... About everything... Slits his wrist... In a hot bath... And bleeds to death... And um... Before all that... Happens... Al... Fredo... And Anthony... Were gonna go on a fishing trip... But... Before that happens... Fredo and Anthony are together and he's saying, hey, you want to know a secret? Years ago when I was on, I went on a big fishing trip with my dad and my brothers. We all went fishing together. And every time I put the line in the water, I said a Hail Mary. And every time I said a Hail Mary, I caught a fish. You want, sounds pretty crazy, right? You want to do that with me, kiddo? He decides to say that. But before they could go fishing together, Connie calls out for him and says that uh, he he wants to, he wants to take Michael he wants to take Anthony to Reno. But instead, he gets sent to his room, and while in the I guess the guest house or what have you on the lake, overlooking it all, he sees like he sees Al and Fredo fishing. And this is where it really gets heartbreaking for many people. Because he's actually, because Fredo's in the middle of a Hail Mary, and once he says, Holy Hail, Hail Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Like, literally before he's ready to finish the prayer, he gets shot by Al. And if I'm truly honest, that's probably one of the most heartbreaking moments of the movie. But then the second, like, the very last flashback happens, where everyone's around. You get Sonny, who's still alive. He introduces Carlo to Connie. They start to get, I guess, a blossoming relationship. This is on December 7th, 1941. Mm -hmm. And um, everyone's chatting. Tissy comes by with the cake. They're talking about the war and whatnot, how, everyone, like how the, Jap shouldn't have ta- the Japanese shouldn't have attacked Pearl Harbor. I'm sorry for saying Jap. My apologies. That is not a correct word to say, but the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. He doesn't like how that, like, and everyone says it. Sad, like, everyone that's signing up for saps, yada, yada, yada. And uh, Michael brings out some heartbreaking news for everyone. And some shocking news at that. That he's enlisted in the Marines and he's quit college. And doing so, he's angered Sonny, who, even though he's played by James Conn for a quick cameo in this scene, still plays it just like he was in the first one. He's still the hothead that everyone knows him to be. Well, everything goes on. Tom says, like, this and that. Like, how your dad wanted to just go to that firm and whatnot. Like... He did a lot to get you there. Like, he's just, he's just like, why didn't you talk to dad about it? Like, why didn't you talk to him about it? And, well, he doesn't. And everyone goes off to go celebrate the birthday, Vito's birthday together. While Michael's just kind of alone with his thoughts. And this is where the movie kind of ends. With Michael, kind of with his thoughts again, but in a on a bench alone at Lake Tahoe, with basically all these skeletons in his closet, you could say because he's basically had four people killed around the same time. He had his only his elder brother killed, like he or he ordered the, the he ordered the assassination on his older brother Fredo. He had his... One of his best men... Rocco Lampone... Shot dead technically... He didn't order it... But he ordered the assassination of... Hyman Roth... Who then in turn dies... Because of that... So both die... And then... His old associate... Frank Pentangeli Dies as well... So he's kind of like... Just sitting there... With all these thoughts in his... In his... In the back of his head... With all these skeletons... In his, in his closet... And that's where the Godfather Part 2 ends. And now I just realized that this has been going on for a bit of a a long bit. I'm sorry for that, ladies and gentlemen. I don't really go on for a whole nearly a whole hour, but I need to get my thoughts out for this. This is part two of the Godfather Review. Now, this won't get released right away, mind you. This will be getting released. As soon as I get my hands on a copy of either if I decide to watch part three or the Godfather Coda, I have a copy of part three to watch. I could do that, but I don't want to. I feel like doing the Coda will do it more justice. I will still watch part three beforehand, but I'll probably do a little bit of comparison work between the two at the same time and say what my thoughts are on both. But I'm only going with the director's cut, The *Godfather* code of the death of Michael Corleone. Is set of part three. When I decide to do it, so when I do decide to do that, ladies and gentlemen, this series will be concluded for that bit for the midnight movie confessionals. *Godfather* trilogy or quadrilogy, whatever you want to call it, saga itself, it'll be end. It'll be over. I'll have at least. Shown you that I've been able to, like, well, I've been able to present you something that's interesting to say the least. But until then, I will see you all next time. And transmission. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Midnight Movie Confessionals. Today is the day. Today is December eighth. What happened today on, like, on December eighth? Besides a few things, um, we lost John Lennon forty years ago. Which still is heartbreaking to know that he is dead. And, oh yeah, today marks the release of The Godfather Coda. The death of Michael Corleone. Now, this is just a simple recut of a third film in The Godfather Trilogy. Which I did watch, I didn't do a review of because I felt that I could do more parallels between this film recut and the original cut. This is the first time I think Francis Ford Coppola has actually gone and gone out of his way to revisit a film and cut like do a, a revision for this trilogy. If I recall correctly cuz he didn't do one for part 1 or part 2, he did do his res- restoration of them, but he didn't go out of his way to make a brand new version of it. That he could re-release in theaters, which is basically the decision of making, in a sense, a director's cut, or a redux, if you want to call it that. Kind of like how we did with Apocalypse Now, which, again, that is what it is. I'm not going to go on about that. What I am going to go on about is how this film is four minutes shorter than the third film. Now, why is that, though? I don't know. Don't ask a fool. Don't ask a Don't ask a fool. Ask don't ask a wise man. Sometimes ask a fool. Sometimes they will know the answer. But if you're really wanting my honest opinion, I don't know. But I do know that this film was honestly disappointing. How it starts is nice, but how it ends is not so nice for me. To be fair, it starts with. Okay, maybe before I do that, maybe I should tell you who is in this film, because it is basically another version of part three. It stars Al Pacino, Diane Keaton, Talia Shire, I believe her last name is Coppola before she was married, Andy Garcia, Eli Wallach, Joe Mantegna, Bridget Fonda, George Hamilton, and of course, Francis Ford Coppola's daughter, Sophia. Now it came out thirty years ago. This year on December twenty fifth, nineteen ninety, the intended title for the film was called "The Death of Michael Corleone," which Paramount Pictures rejected. And they, I Coppola considers three to be more of a dual, like uh, more of an epilogue. It didn't get the same praise as the first two films. Because it was criticized by its plot and Sophia's performance. It was nominated for seven awards. But I don't think it ever got any of them. But basically, it starts off... Michael is basically 60 years old in this film. Like, it's 1979. He was born in 1919. He's 70 years old. He's 70, He's He's 60. He's getting there in age. He wants to uh, give up everything. He wants to make a solid life for himself. And quite frankly, who would blame him? He's been given a papal order. Which is great for him. As he is getting this, he is able to invite his family... To the honor to the ceremony, including others like Vincent Mancini, Corleone, and his mother Lucy Mancini. But he is given like they're not on the list. But before that even begins, he's talking to Archbishop Gilday about this deal he wants to get himself on, like into International Immobiliari. where he would be one of the richest men in the world. And one of the richest landowners in the world. And the reason why he wants to do this. Is he wants to make his whole life completely legitimate. He wants to do a lot of things. About it. He wants to. Kind of churn his whole life around. He wants to do something that's different. How can he do that? He decides to go to Archbishop Gilday. Who's now in charge of the Vatican Bank. And ask for his help in getting into this he even says if you allow me to help run this i will in turn get a uh, donate a serious sum of money which she intends to do after this happens we're given the ceremony where everyone's there they're celebrating his uh, life his time everything Michael is enjoying himself, he sees Kay, he sees Anthony, he sees Mary, who also is the honorary chairman of the Vito Corleone Foundation, which is something that he has developed for himself. He's developed an organization dedicated to his father's work, in a sense, to help revitalize Sicily in his name. Because he was, like his father was from Sicily, he saw, and Michael, in the first one, did see how Sicily has turned. How it's looked, and he wants to change that. So, knowing what he wants to do is a smart thing, if I'm truly honest. But at the same time, I don't know what else I could say about it. I'm not in his shoes, but all I know is I'm watching this as as it goes on. We see that Anthony has asked his mother to help him with some support from his father. His father wants. Him to continue his education to become a lawyer. Anthony says, no, he does not want to do that. He wants to become an opera singer. He's wondering, like, he's not thinking about how he will fail or anything like that. He knows he wants to do this. Kay knows that he also killed Fredo. So does Anthony. Anthony knows this as well. They say, I dread you, this and that. They get mad at each other. But he's basically saying, you know what? I spent my life protecting my family. And he's able to portray this in such a way, and he even says, what do you want from me, Kay? What do you want? Like, what do you want from me? Like, what can I do? What can I do for you? In a way where it makes sense, but at the same time, it doesn't. He's angry because he's not able to provide properly, and he wants to show he's able to. He wants to revive for his offspring. But, at the end of the day, how can he when he's being black... uh, like backwall, like backwalled or whatever you want to call it like just like stonewalled I guess you could say by people so after the meeting has happened Joey Zaza and Vincent come to him asking for help in this assist like in settling out everything getting making their peace with one another and Vincent says hey he's been saying fuck Michael Corleone Behind your back for many, many, many months, Uncle Michael. He, want, he wants to get Joey to stop running the neighborhood like he does because he's running the neighborhood like a sham. He's running it like he doesn't care about anything at all. He wants Michael to help him can take control of the neighborhood himself. But how can he when he's being given work by what people would say is a bit of a backstabber to michael corleone that would not be a friend that would be a dog the person that is doing such a thing and as they try to make peace joey says bastardo because he knows that vincent was born out of wedlock he was sonny's child yes but he wasn't a corleone he wasn't like his mother was not he was not sonny was not married to lucy mancini he was his mistress. She was her mistress. He was. She was his mistress, though. Sorry. So the son was born out of wedlock. It technically, is a bastard son, but again, he does not feel okay with that. At the end of the day, he like in what visit does is angrily bite part of uh, Joey's house's ear off. Now, Michael says, "You know what? Maybe you should hang around with me for a little bit. Maybe you'll learn something new." And I think he takes him under. uh, He takes Vincent under his shoulder, like under his wing, a little bit, to try and mold him into a more respectable citizen. As time goes on in the film, he's, I guess, what happens is, I guess, um, after that incident, he's with a reporter, whom has tried to sleep with him to try and get closer to Michael Corleone, and. Oh sorry, basically what happens is that he's doing this, some thugs break into his house, and she gets into, into the mix of it as well, he kills both of them after he finds out who sent them, which was Joey Zaza, Joey sent them as a message, apparently, to try and get Invincent to back off, I guess, or what have you, I don't know exactly, but all I know is that. Vincent kills them in self-defense. The reporter lady is not too happy about it, but she wanted to gamble. This is him gambling. And what they do is they go back to Michael. He says, Joey did this. He's the one behind it all. And Michael is saying, I have issues with the commission, yada, yada. Like, maybe they should fear you, Vincent, not me. But as time goes on, Mary... And Vincent have a bit of a relationship that they develop. Michael knows that, that this is happening, is not allowing it whatsoever because that is wrong. It is first cousins. And even then it's still it may be legal, but it's still wrong to do because that will be something that it may be legal, but it's still in a sense inbreeding and it's not right. He doesn't he's old fashioned. He doesn't want that. But at a shareholders' meeting in New York for Immobiliari Archbishop Gaudet does say, I will allow this to happen. I will allow Michael Corleone to be a part of the Immobiliari. So he does this. He says, I will allow it. The meeting in Rome is meant to ratify everything. They find out that uh, Pope John VI is unwell or was it Paul VI? I can't recall. I think it was one moment lazy. And... It was I believe It was Paul the 6th. That's it. It was uh Paul the 6th, not John the 6th. I don't know why I thought that, but yeah. He didn't I just know that The papacy for John Paul I, whom is given that honor after Paul VI has passed away, did not last very long. He only lasted maybe a month before his successor came around and lasted a whole lot longer. And John Paul II lasted until... I think his death in 2005, and he was... If I recall correctly, 84 years old. But... He was around for a long time. At the end of the day. But... It is what it is. I'm not gonna go... Do too much details on that. All I know is that... This happens. They're talking about it and... Afterwards... Don Altabello... Connie's grand... The godfather... Asks Michael to come, like, after he's come back from Rome to make a meeting in Atlantic City with the rest of uh, his friends in the family to more or less organize everything because they want in. They feel a little heartbroken because they haven't been able to be a part of the immobiliari deal. They want in. He says, no, I must make it completely legitimate. I'm sorry, my friend, but I can't do this. If you were friends with me, you will stay friends with me. But if you choose to go the other direction, I will not be able to tell you anything else if you want to be that way. He gives everyone who's invested in the casinos and whatnot their money. He also gives a bit of a stern, I guess you could say, way of saying fuck you to Joey Zaza. As everyone's been given money, but he's not. Don Altobello goes off and chases after him to say... Let me talk to him, and as this is happening, they're trying to talk, Michael says, I can't do this for you friends, a helicopter approaches and starts to, above the place in Atlantic City at the hotel, where they're meeting, and um, Vincent can tell right away it's a hit, he tr- he gets Michael out of there with Al Neri, his bodyguard, his best like his best man, I guess you could say, of sorts. He gets him out of there. They move out. They get out of there. They get out of there safely. Um, they find out that Joey Zaza is the one that was behind it all. Vincent wants to, more or less, kill him himself, but he he's not given the opportunity, only due to the fact that Michael is saying no. Don't don't do it. Don't let him basically run your life in a sense. Don't let the anger get into your system and run your life. But as that happens, comes the famous line Just when I thought I was out they pull me back in. Alright. Let's go. To, let's get a message out to Joey Zaza. As this happens, Michael, out of the blue, suffers a diabetic stroke. Now... We don't know what caused it exactly. Maybe it was a, a ton of stress on his body. Anything could have happened exactly, but we know he's having a heart. He's having a stroke. Connie goes and runs for Vincent to go get, like, to call for help. They get him to the hospital. As he's in a coma, his law, uh, Michael's lawyer, BJ, whom I don't really remember mentioning a little bit about. Comes into um, Gilday's place to say, we need to get this ratified. Michael's in tr- hospitalized right now. He's in a coma. He should be okay. He just had a st- he had a stroke. He's in a coma. He should be okay, but we need this deal ratified now. This also happens in the movie as well. A lot of these things are happening in the movie, anyways, but just how they're done in the pre in the previous film because the previous film has a longer take on. The hit that happens in Atlantic City, where everyone that survives or dies and whatnot, and it's a lot longer because some people like scream out "Zaza, you bastard" or what have you, and it it shows more. This felt for this one, it felt like it was a TV movie, like made for TV kind of edit in a sense. But who would do that? Why would Coppola do that? I don't know. But that's beside the fact. As that happens, like I mentioned, Sofia Coppola and Andy Garcia's characters, Vincent and Mary Carr, they own, respectively, have developed a relationship. He's saying, it's too dangerous for you to be around me. I don't want you to be around me right now. He's basically saying I'm going to war, in a sense, with Joey Zaza. And it's during an Italian day, I guess, an Italian... Day Festival, I'm not too certain on when it happens exactly, but it's happening around that time, there is like a raffle that uh, someone can win a Cadillac to, I guess it's just one of those traditions that happens in Little Italy, in New York City, I guess, I don't know, you could not tell me later on, but I mean right now, I don't know anything about it, so I'll probably do a follow up to it later. But that's beside the fact. Now, what happens is that while this is happening, some people goad Antonio Scugliari, the ant, his, uh, Joey his bodyguard, as well as Joey into, uh, getting into a fight with them. While this happens, some guy, uh, I don't want to say slant clans are a motif, but it is technically, but it's not. Who's carrying a Italian statue. I think of the Virgin Mary. I can't recall exactly. It's one of the saints. And um, they're carrying it. They see the fight. They shoot the ant point blank with a lupata, I believe. Or it might have just been a regular sawn off shotgun. But it looks very similar to what would have been a lupata. If I'm truly honest, but if that is the case, I don't know. I will take a look quickly. I know what a Lupara looks like, but I wanted to... Yeah, it was probably just a regular shotgun, because a Luparda is a little bit more of a sawed-off shotgun with a... That's of the break action. sort sure, of like how the ones that like are double-barreled that are done however it is, but it's one of those things that I thought was the real deal, but I guess it's not. I guess it's just a regular double-barreled shotgun that they use in the film. I don't really exactly know. But that is beside the fact. It's not really that big of a deal. If it is or isn't. It's just one of those things. And they do that. Vincent's goons run after Zoe, uh, Joey. As Joey did not realize. There was someone on a horse. Dressed as a cop. And that was Vincent. He shoots him down. And runs off and tells Michael about it. And Michael, very upset about the whole ordeal, is saying, I command this family right or wrong. And that was not my decision. He's mad because, yes, the order went through. It was because Connie and Al Neri that he got the okay to do so. But Michael was sick. He didn't want to see Michael die. That's... Nor did Connie. Nor did Al Nier. You want to see him die. I don't think anyone wanted to see him die. But... That is beside the fact. As... He, as Vincent helps Michael to his bed... He decides to... He knows about the relationship those two, Like he and... Mary are having. He wants them to not continue it further. He also finds out some good news. That Anthony's now going to have... Um, his first performance at an opera in sicily in palermo which is also very very nice and is quite spectacular to hear he wants to get better to go visit that before he does pass on in a sense he wants to get better and see this through he does so he also invites everyone to sicily and when he does so he visits his old friend and protector Don Tomasino. Don Tomasino was in the first film. And he was the one that protected Michael. While he was stuck in Sicily. Well not really stuck in Sicily. But while, uh, while he was exiled in Sicily. Because he was exiled in Sicily. Due to the fact that one he killed. Virgil Solozzo And Captain McCluskey. That is why he was in Sicily. He was hiding out there. Because his enemies could not know where he was. At all. They couldn't know anything. About what was going on. At all. So, that happens. Things go on. But, he more or less talks to Mary and says, I don't want you to see your cousin anymore. I don't. I forbid it. She's upset. She takes off. And, one day, while they're in Sicily, Don Tomasino, after Mer- Kay and Mike head off to... Um, Corleone, and visit everything that's there, they find out that Don Tomasino has been uh, killed. They don't exactly know who, but, um, this is, like, maybe a little bit, and then a little bit later on, we find out that, um, Pope Paul VI is pa- like, has passed, there's gonna be a new Pope, one of the members of the Mobilari deal, Kainzik, who is a Swiss banker who did not really enjoy the whole idea of the Corleones controlling it and letting it be ratified by that way, has taken off. Archbishop Gilday is trying to find him. He doesn't know where he's at. And as this has kind of gone on, he's more or less stolen money from people and just kind of swindled everyone. He takes off. No one knows where he is. He's been missing for several days. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And more or less, as things are going more and more further on, Michael, like I mentioned, invites everyone to the opera. He also talks a little bit to... um, I'm sorry about that. He talks to his son... His son has a special performance for him that uh is from a song that's from Corleone himself like itself. He performs it. Michael has a few flashbacks to when he was married to Apollonia, when he was married to Kay, how he had his first like he had his dance with his daughter. And as that kinda goes on, he listens to it. He does get a little emotional, you could tell, but he's also just acknowledging everything as what's happened and whatnot in the past. And he can't really do a whole lot about that. But as he's doing so, he finds like, um, he does this. He gives Anthony a little drawing that he's kept on, like, he's kept hold of since the second film for many years, and he thinks it'll bring him some good luck, and, well, I think it will too, after a little bit of meeting with Cardinal Lamberto where Michael kind of has some issues about everything, and he even mentions it all, he confesses his sins the first time he's done so, in 30 years, he even mentions it, mentions it to Connie, he mentions to Cardinal Lamberto that he's killed many people he's killed his he's betrayed himself he's betrayed his wife he killed his brother like he ordered the death of his brother because his brother hurt him he's killed his mother's son he killed his father's son he saw he's crying as well he's like literally in tears when he's saying it he's sobbing heavily due to it and he's he's, he should be he did something so so just brutal he ordered the death of his own brother no less who does that But, that's beside the point. He does this. He talks to Cardinal Umberto. He tells Connie about the whole situation. They move on about it. They, um... They keep going through this all. They're still in Sicily. This is happening. And Kainzig, the banker, has disappeared, like I mentioned. And... Vincent also, with Don help, meets with Don Lucchese. Don Lucchese is the one that, um, patrols everything in Sicily, apparently, with, like, even including the parts of the Immobiliari deal. Now, the reason why they're in Sicily besides Palermo, the uh, event in, uh, opera operatic performance in Palermo is also because Archbishop Bishop was given a hundred million dollars to the revitalization of Sicily from Mary and Michael through the Owned Foundation, and even Michael, a little bit earlier in the film, says, I, "My father never tro- like never liked organizations. He never liked foundations. He always liked doing it himself, which was a good idea." I do remember part of the movie. I just realized I I stepped over, but it was also a little bit about. Um, Tom's son. Uh, Tom Hagen's son. I can't remember, I think it was Anthony Hagen. No, I, I. Let me double check this quickly. I know I shouldn't be doing that. I should remember all my facts, but this is a podcast. I'm able to do many things on the fly. If I recall correctly, it was. If I do recall, it was. If I recall correctly. A son was called Andrew Hagen. That's it. And he's also there in. Sicily. He's actually there with them after. He's also um, found himself also doing a few other things like he's found himself in Vatican City, and all that. He's with them because he's also part of the family. He's invited. To the performance as well. They go to it all. And then they just. Do what they need to do. More or less. And. Vincent. Finds out some things. And he says. That Lucchese is behind it all. And he wants to be given the final order. To become. The leader of the Corleones. Which Michael says. On one condition. That you give up my daughter. That is the price you pay. Which. Which reasonable very reasonable if you ask me become the don of a family of a crime family, but in turn give up the cousin of the main man of it all fine I could do that as this happens everyone including Yuri his own crew himself recognize him as Don they decide to. Organize how everything's going to go out. On the night of the opera, he um, gives Connie, like, Connie goes ahead and delivers Don Altobello a cannoli that she's poisoned, for his birthday no less, and he tries to convince her to eat a little bit of it, but he, she doesn't want to. She already knows that it's been poisoned anyways. Like, why would I want to do that? Like, why would I want to eat... Why would I want to eat something that I know I poison? Like, why the fuck would I want to do that? And, um... He sends Al Neri to Sicily. He sends Kahlo, Tom Tomasino's bodyguard, and Michael's old bodyguard... To visit with Don Lucchesi. Um... J- Cardinal Lamberto becomes... Jean-Paul I in the film, which is not true. It was someone else, but that is what it is. I'm not gonna be like, oh that was wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. No, I'm not doing that in this review. I'm not gonna detail inaccuracies for any reason whatsoever. It's not it's not reason, it's not needed. But that happens. When that happens, we also see that he's also done a few other things, like I mentioned. He gets, Vincent gets his crew to find Kainzik and uh, kill him. Elniri is sent to the Vatican to kill Archbishop Gilday. Um, Donald uh, DiBello is being poisoned by... Slowly dead, killed by Connie... Which, if I'm honest, is a bit of a brutal scene to watch because she kind of sits there and just kind of keeps on watching him do this. But basically, this is happening during the whole performance in Cavaliera Rusticana. Basically, Vincent's men smother again, and then hang him up from bridge, making it look like his death was a suicide. Neri travels to the Vatican where he shoots Good Day and then, I guess. Takes him up to the top of the stairs and then just chucks him down. And while they're there, during the during Anthony's performance, three of Vincent's men search for this assassin named Mosca, but he overcomes them all. But he can't; they can't do anything about it. But um, they also find out that the. Deal for the immobiliary is ratified, and the blood is against the ratification attempt to kill their tracks. And Archbishop Gilday actually kills the new pope with poison tea, no less. And it's just it's difficult to deal with because he finds out that also Mosca is the one that killed his best, like his protectorate in in Sicily, Don Tommasio, as well but as this has gone on, the ratification of the deal has happened, and what also happens is that um, well, after that happens there, after the performance is over, the Cabernet area are meant to be showing up, And, uh, more or less, I think that it ends on a, still the same way that the last film, like, the original version ends, in a sense, with Mosca shooting Michael and having a bullet pull, like, pass through him through to, uh, Mary, who dies in Michael's arms, in a sense. She slumps over, but he curls her body and she dies with a fatal gunshot wound. After Mosk has been killed, Anthony and everyone just mourn over her. Okay, wails and screams. Anthony is just kind of distraught himself. He doesn't know how to just, like, view it all. Michael is just, he's heartbroken. He's heartbroken because of the fact that, one his only daughter is dead someone he loved and even said he would burn in hell to keep her safe as well as his son Anthony that didn't get to be the case sadly because of the fact that these fucking sick fucks do this shit to people and it's disgusting but whatever it ends just how the move the last movie did but it ends with a little bit more. It ends more with a bit of a an epilogic, epilogue-like note, you could say. Where it does actually say... When a Sicilian wishes you Chantani, it means long life. A Sicilian never forgets. While you do see Michael again before that last little bit... Shows it after the montage of all the people he's loved. Basically, he has a quick montage, which I think only was shortened to Mary. He's still at Don uh estate, his vineyard, whatever you want to call it. And um, he's in the courtyard of the villa and he just puts on his glasses, is about to peel an orange. But that's it. They don't show him slumping over and dying. Which they could have. And then just had that little title card at the very end. But that is what it is. Now with part three. How it starts. It doesn't have. Like has Michael. At like how he was in the end of two. And it shows a little bit of the old compound. In Lake Tahoe. And he talks. He writes a letter to his kids. About coming to the ceremony and all that. And asking to come to the ceremony. And hopefully you will be able to uh, do it. And maybe we can be a family again. Go to more gatherings together. That is what part three was like. Part three was a little bit longer. It had a few scenes like I mentioned. That were in this one not really seen. There was a few extra pieces that were not seen in this version of the film. But if I'm honest it's not. I wouldn't call this. This is apparently Coppola's director's cut. I don't know if I want to call it a director's cut because the director's cut should be longer. This one was shorter than the theatrical cut. Now, do I like how it ended? A little bit, but I'm still a little pissed off on how it kind of it cuts away from Michael slumping over and dying. Like it doesn't show that it should, and then show the little bit at the title card about how Sicilian never forgets. And this and that. And have the credits roll after. It doesn't do that. It should though. Because it is. Made to be called. The death of Michael Corleone. There was no death. Of Michael Corleone. And even then. Part 3 does show him dying anyways. So I know what's happening. I've already seen the film before. I thought this would be more or less. Very similar to. The director's cut of many other films. That I've seen in the past. Like Blade Runner. Or what have you. But combined out of the two films that I'm putting together in this review, in a sense, because I am going to put this part as Part 3 slash Coda. The Death of Michael Corleone, if I can in the title. But I will do what I have to do. I am going to say Part 3 itself gets a solid 8 out of 10. I definitely think if you're a fan of the trilogy, you might not like Part 3 as much as you like. Part 2 or Part 1. While the Coda gets 6. It, it, it It's not like it it gets a 6 out of 10. Don't get me wrong. It's not because it's slowed down in such a stupid level where it deserves to get a lower score. No. It only gets that because of its ending. The ending, if it did end how it did in the last one, and then gave me the title card, would give me a 7 but it didn't it ended in basically the same way as the last one as part three kind of did whatever i'm not gonna constantly lambast about it it's annoying i hate how it ended but it ended how it had to end now as a total for the entire trilogy i do believe i gave part one a nine no i I think i gave that one i think i gave that one an eight then I gave part two a nine, and then I gave part three, an eight again. But the coda gets it toss up between the six and the seven. It was so close to getting an eight, it was very close. But not everyone can win. Not everyone can have that final favorite piece to their movie. Sometimes, but I am glad that Francis was ge- Francis Ford Coppola was given the chance to go back and redo this movie in a sense. And be given a new way to cut it. Like, he was able to go back and do it once more. And do it right. I kind of wish he was able to do that with the other two. But, why would he want to do that? I mean, it is what it is. I do like how the title card does show it saying, The Godfather. And then it says, Coda. It doesn't say part three. It says, Coda. And then, after that does it, it says, in quotes, The Death of Michael Corleone. Which was nice. That was a great touch that I liked. I liked how some of it was edited. It didn't need to be all edited up. And chopped up and whatnot. But that is how a director can do it. They're allowed. If it's their vision and it's their movie. Let them do what they want. That is what it is. I'm not going to put it past them. Or anything else. I don't have any issues with it. I don't want to cause issues with it. But I do want to say. That this trilogy has been. A bit of a long time in the making for this podcast. And I now notice that I'm well over 40 minutes for this episode. But I wanted to end it on a good note. I know during this pandemic, a lot of people have not been able to work. I know I haven't been able to. I've been doing this podcast whenever I felt comfortable to do so. I do know that this podcast, when it does come up, will be not the very last one of 2019. It might be the second to last that I do for 2019. Because 2020, oh no, not 2019, 2020. I'm sorry, I meant to say 2020, 2020. This might be the last one of this year. It might be the second to last. I don't know for certain. But I do know I have another one that I am cooking up for all you fine folks out there that listen to these podcasts. this one I hope will be sequential in how it is because this is three parts, this podcast itself. The next one I'm going to be doing is going to be on a series on Netflix. And no, it's not going to take over the Project Blue Book series. If any of you are curious, forget about that. That's not going to be replaced by this. This is just going to be a one-off Midnight Movie Confessionals TV spinoff. It's going to be a bonus episode. I might do it like that. I don't want to make it anything else. All you got to know is that's what it is. This is Scott Butson with parts one, two, three slash Coda, the Death of Michael Corleone of the Godfather trilogy slash saga, whatever you want to call it. Signing out. End transmission.